Hey, Julian. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good. What are we going to talk about today? Turmeric. Ethnopharmacologicals. Yeah, that's what I said. Turmeric. Yeah. And Valeria? Okay. Tell you what, let's get Professor Tony Booker on. Brilliant. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. So you, you were saying that this guy, Tony, so this is the guy that goes sailing and stuff with you. That's it. That's it. Yeah, he's here. He's here, Mike. He's here. Right. But yeah. you call him Dr. Professor Hare. Hare Professor, Professor Dr. Tony. Oh, hello, Tony. Um, I was just discussing, um, just discussing life with Julian. Sure, sure. Good stuff. Good stuff. Right. Okay. So, so everything that you're telling me tells me that you should be referred to as Professor Tony Booker. Is this right? I'm not a professor. No. Although I'm, I'm going to get, a, um, I'm going to become associate professor of China Medical University in Taiwan very shortly. Wow. wow. Yeah. It means I have to go out to Taiwan and do a bit of teaching, which is okay. Excellent. I like Taiwan. How fabulous. But you've been, uh, you've been to- to, to China and, and Japan quite extensively, haven't you, Tony? But China, yes, big place, yeah. Spent a lot of time there. Yeah, China, mm. Taiwan, Japan, India. Uh, yes. Especially. Yeah, spent near six months in wandering around India looking for, for turmeric plants and uh, and stuff like that. And this was for your PhD, wasn't it? Yeah, so the field work in India was uh, uh, from the part of my PhD, yeah. Tony, you're telling me that you've got a PhD in turmeric. Yeah. You don't you don't need to study for years and years and years. You just go to Tesco's or other supermarkets are available, aren't they, Julian? They are. Apparently so. Apparently. So, so you could go to Sainsbury's or Waitrose or Morrison's or Asta. Yeah. Well, funny you, yeah, Morrison's. Yeah, funny you should say that. Part of my PhD actually involved going to Morrison's and uh, buying some turmeric, yeah, mm. which, which then I took home and uh, analysed by nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy and thin layer chromatography. And uh, yeah, the Morrison's stuff, I'd, you know, it was, it, was very, it was very nice. Right, so, you, right, okay. I, I want to backtrack here. Okay. Right, so I've just said you can go to wherever. Mm-hmm. And you just told me that for your PhD, you mm. had to go to Morrison's. Yes. So tell me more about that. Well, I was interested in collecting samples of uh, turmeric. So right. I, di- I didn't go to Morrison's first. First, I went to India. Right. I went to uh, uh, Tamil Nadu and Karnataka and uh, somewhere near Delhi. Right. And, and collected different samples of um, turmeric. Right. Is a fresh or uh, dried samples. Um, and then I also collected samples from the internet and um, from health food shops. Did, um, did you did you have to go onto the dark web to get turmeric on the internet? I didn't, no. All right, okay. <laughs> uh, I, stayed, I stayed on the light web. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, but then I, but I wanted to compare against fresh turmeric, and the best place that I found to get fresh turmeric um was in uh was in morrison's um it was sprayed with some nice water to keep mm. it nice and uh, moist i took it and dried it in my mushroom dryer 
and then ground it. And um, yeah, it was quite interesting because it actually contained, I found it contains compounds that were actually absent in all the uh, uh, powdered turmeric, which, which, which is probably, probably the compound I should have actually investigated from a PhD because that would have been really interesting. But right. um, it, it seems to disappear really, really quickly on drying, so um, perhaps it's not, not very stable. But there's certainly something in fresh turmeric that's not in, uh, in, in the dried form. So you were looking at all, all sorts of turmeric, all presentations, and what you found was, was that fresh turmeric, and I wouldn't even know what fresh turmeric looked like, Mm. Got compounds that are not found in the dried turmeric that we buy in the little bottles. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So that was part of it, and but kind of attached to that, what what my kind of hypothesis was that um, it, it linked into value chains, and uh, the, the hypothesis was that if you made um, a direct contract with farmers in India. Yeah, uh, what's known as a vertically integrated uh, value chain. Um, right. So this is a value, value supply chain, is it? Yeah, yeah. So the value chain is, is similar to supply chain, but it's just with the added idea that as you move through different stages, you can add value to a project pro- product, either things like it being organic or being shown to have certain qualities. Uh, so it's, it's often described as value chain in kind of mo- mo- more modern. Uh, literature and so i I was trying to show that it not only uh had benefits for the livelihoods of farmers in india but it also actually increased the quality of the actual product right and so i compared a product that had been in this in this vertically integrated value chain with with turmeric that's actually bought through the normal route which is by auction and the problem with auction is turmeric prices are very volatile so it, it sometimes you know if they go up in price all the farmers start planting because the the, the, the turmeric's very good and it's a good way to make money but what happens is that because all the farmers start planting they overproduce so right. the next year the price goes down yep. and when it goes down no one wants to sell it so what they do is they store it um right. And they can store it for something that I didn't know. Um, and the only way I could possibly find out was actually going out to India and look. They, they can store it for kind of three, even up to five years. Wow. Um, yeah. So when you get the turmeric on the shelves in the supermarket and it's got an expiry date on, you, you possibly you could add five years onto that where it's been installed before it's actually been sold. And because it's in places like India, when they store it, they have to protect it from molds and insects and all this kind of thing. And the only way they can protect it is by the heavy use of pesticides and fungicides and, and that kind of thing. Right. So, mm. um, does, yeah. that, does that affect the quality of the product directly? Well, one, it, it increases the the kind of loadings of, of things that you don't really want, i.e. pesticides and fungicides, but also as it's stored. So this was like the crux of, the, of what I found in the PhD. You lose all the volatile components. Mm-hmm. And, all, um, and 
what I was able to show that, that one, if you bought very fresh turmeric, it had so many compounds in it. If you bought the turmeric that was wide, widely available in health food shops and on the internet, um, it may have, it may well contain uh, curcuminoids, which is the main ingredient, but most of the volatiles were, were gone because it, it was old. But I was able to show the, the product that was obtained through the vertically integrated value chain, I, this uh, product that was um, uh, produced by Packer, actually contained a very important uh, compound uh, uh, tumorone, which has which has been shown to have anti-inflammatory action. <clears throat> and it was only the Morrison's fresh turmeric and the Paca, uh dried turmeric vertical, vertically integrated value chain product that contained this compound. And that was right. the first time that this was ever shown, and that was a novelty of my PhD. Mm. So, so what, what you're actually saying then, and correct me if I get this wrong, mm. is that... Whilst turmeric is often used for its anti-inflammatory effects, aside from, if we're looking at medicinal effects, aside mm. from the the, the, the flavours and the, the cooking uh, flavours that you get, um, yeah. a lot of people take turmeric for anti-inflammatory effects for things like arthritis and sore, mm -hmm. sore joints, etc. Uh, quite controversially here, what you're actually saying is, is that a lot of the dried turmeric that is sold for that purpose actually contains no active ingredients or vastly reduced ingredients yeah, certainly vastly reduced and uh, as for the with the anti-inflammatory uh, action every everyone focuses on curcumin right which mm. is regarded as the main active ingredient which isn't particularly vo uh, volatile um and, and so even in older samples, you, you can find curcumin and curcuminoids. Um, but it's not such a, a simple uh, picture. There's many other, there's some. There, there's actually hundreds of different compounds in, in turmeric, all which may be playing at their part, almost have some kind, also may have synergistic actions. But certain compounds, I uh, uh, tumorone, have actually been shown to have anti-inflammatory action. And also there's a Japanese uh, turmeric that doesn't contain any uh, curcuminoids, which is, which has also been shown to have anti-inflammatory action. Uh, and that contain probably because of the, the, some of the polysaccharides that it contains. So everyone focuses on the curcumin, but it's not necessarily the curcumin that um, mm. you know, produces the... The results and curcumin. It, it, the other, the other thing is curcumin is really poorly um, absorbed. It's not very bioavailable, um, right. so it doesn't explain why. It doesn't explain well why, why turmeric should have a uh, any anti-inflammatory action. In, in a way, that would explain why the fresher samples are perhaps more effective because the, the volatiles are more likely then to uh, to have an anti-inflammatory effect. Is that right? So the fresh um, sample, the more likely they are to have a, an anti-inflammatory effect. Or am I being a little bit simplistic there? Yeah, po poss possibly. Yeah, and, and some of the volatiles have been shown in 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 
in in, vi- in vitro and in vivo tests to have uh, some anti-inflammatory uh, effects. Mm. Okay, so I'm just, you're, I'm, you're holding up there, Julian. You're ah, holding up what looks yeah. like a ginger root. Yeah, it looks very much like a ginger root. It's rather more reddish yes, than the ginger root. And more red slender. Red. That's just reflecting off your T-shirt, which is also red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is this is a this is a turmeric root. Did uh, you grow that? And I agree. Yeah, I grew this. Wow, it's really good. So we've got a, a good harvest. It doesn't grow well in the UK. No, but it grows well on my tortoise enclosure. And there we go. Mm. That, that's what I got. And the good thing is, so I've, I've collected these and kept them in a in a, a, a paper bag, and they're starting to shoot. And so yeah. I'm going to plant these again and hopefully get another lot. But what I haven't been able to do in this country is to get turmeric to flower. Wow, oh, it's a lovely flower. It's a beautiful flower. I bought a turmeric plant that was flowering, uh-huh. um, but that didn't produce much in the way of root. But my, oh. my turmerics, which are, are, are a, a, a perennial, or rather an annual, isn't it? They come up every year from, from the root. Yeah. Um, they've, they've never actually flowered. So what, right. what do you what do you grow this for then, Julian? Primarily for food, right. so as a flavouring, uh, but with the the hope and expectation that having lots of turmeric in my diet will help my ageing joints. Right, uh, and, and it seems to work. Uh, it hasn't helped my hair, but it's <laughs> what hair? I'm still ah, absolutely. I'm still hoping. Well, uh, but it does it does taste nice as well, doesn't it? Turmeric. Turmeric you're eating. Turmeric tea doesn't taste nice though. Tony, uh, Tony tried uh, to get me to drink turmeric tea once, and I, I've, I've tried it a few different yeah. brands a few times, and I can't really get into it. Yeah, turmeric latte is not so bad. <laughs> turmeric latte. So, what got you into all this, Tony? Let's let's zip back a few years. So we've got we've got a PhD in in turmeric. Um. What was that was very old, actually. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was um, yeah, I got a PhD at 50, and I said, yeah, 50 years out, I was 50, and uh, I noticed that you know, everyone else seemed to be a lot younger. So I was one of the, one of, one of the oldies. Mm. But, um, yeah, I only actually intended to do a one-year MSc at the UCL School of Pharmacy because, um, you know, originally I, I started out in the welcome uh, foundation as a uh, as a chemist uh, mm. I lasted, so I lasted about 12 years in the pharmaceutical industry uh, before I decided the, <clears throat> a, a regular job wasn't for me uh, and, and this was this was manufacturing uh, western drugs essentially wasn't it it was yeah but I was but strangely I, I was not by choice I just happened to be um Involved with natural products, so we made uh, digoxin uh, from mm-hmm. digitalis leaf, fox love, and we made um, uh, tubo curarin, which was some curare leaf. So we used to right. import the uh, curare from uh, South America, and mm-hmm. ephedrine uh, we made, and what well, insulin. You know, so we made lots of different natural products, and that's why I, I was involved. More in the the, the testing, uh, quality testing of these, mm-hmm. um, and also partly in in their, in their manufacture. I'm rather interested in the Carrari. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
tell me tell me about your work in Carrara. The, re- the reason I'm interested in that is I'm interested in anesthesia. All right, okay, yeah. So, we, um, I mean, I, I've probably forgotten more than I, I know about it because it was it's something we teach to the students in the, in, in the MSc in um, uh, pharmacography course at US, uh, UCL. Um, what, chew this leaf for 10 minutes? Yeah, well, chewing it is that actually... <laughs> That's one of the strange things. You can chew it, and it probably wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't do, do do you much harm. But if you got uh, had a slight cut, so in 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 the factory, it all used to be, you know, quite out in 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 the open, and no one was too worried. But if you had any kind of cut, um, and you got into that, then then there'd, then there'd be a problem. Um, I, think, I think possibly we should we should actually just quickly say here because it's all very well me glibly saying that I'm into anaesthesia. Um, for for listeners who who may not be aware, um, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, Tony. Um, we could mm. we could glibly say that Carrari is a paralysing agent. Mm. Would you describe it as something different? Yeah, well, you, you could say that. I mean, that in that its traditional use is, in, as most people know, or many people know, it's used on the on the tips of darts, and it, the, the why it's used is because it doesn't kill the kill the prey, but it paralyzes it, so the the meat actually stays fresh over years, or well, not years, over you know days or weeks when they're traveling through through the jungle, mm-hmm. um, and the, and this. This is one of the first kind of. Um, hey, well, hang on, a oh, well, time out. Time mm. out. Hang on, <laughs> hang on. Uh, blow this myth apart for me, please do, because I thought that they put it on tips of darts mm. um, to enable them to to bring down prey, like mm. monkeys mm. Or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so. Because obviously they're up in the trees, dangerous mm. to go up and get the prey if it was mm-hmm. and killed. Prey falls out of tree, yeah. they capture prey, kill it and eat it. Ah, yeah. they capture prey but don't necessarily kill it. Don't necessarily kill it, no. And you know, they couldn't they might kill it and eat it at the time. Right. Uh, but if they don't choose to eat it, then it will stay, you know, alive but paralyzed for for, for some time. Right. Yeah, and this is this is one of the first kind of uh, ethnobotanical, ethnopharmacological studies, um, uh, or one of the really major ones. I mean, the other one being, I mean, the first one was actually with um, the serpine, which is a. I'll just digress for a sec because that's a really interesting part, which was with elephants. Right. Oh, yes. um, the was the, f- the very first. Um, uh, uh, pharmaceutical drug for high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um, 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 what uh, again in India? Someone found someone was watching the elephants. And they they saw them uh, uh, eating this plant called um, rawolfia, uh, and they noticed that the elephants would become after they ate the plant, they become very relaxed and, and sedated and mm. um, very calm, uh, and so. The plant was collected. Uh, nowadays, we call it biopiracy. In that it was taken from uh, India, and there was no kind of uh, recompense given to the to the local uh, people and people with the knowledge of any medicine. But anyway, that, that's what, how it used to happen. Uh, and a, a reserpine was eventually <clears throat> developed, and it became it was the first, as I say, the first drug 
to treat uh, high blood pressure. Mm, right. And, is, that in, is that in humans or across the board? In, in humans. It was in, human, in right. humans, yeah. Okay. yeah. But, um, uh, um, but, wasn't it used as an antidepressant as well? It may have been, yeah. I don't know. It, it may have been the serpine because okay. it certainly had some sedative effects. Mm. So, so that was uh, one good example of um, ethnobotanical uh, research and ethnopharmacological uh, development. Um, but then curare was another one because they, they, it, 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 we knew that it paralysed um, animals and so the idea was, well, this will stop muscle. This obviously stops uh, muscle uh, movement. Yeah. And, mm. and the idea was how, well, perhaps this would be useful. One of the big problems in surgery is you know, things moving around. And, it, and it, after some development, to make a long story uh, shorter, it was developed in the, into one of the first drugs to use in uh, things like open heart surgery. And the drug tubo curarin was produced, mm-hmm. um, which, mm. which by welcome went way through into the 1980s, 90s. Eventually, it was uh, superseded by the, the synthetic drug um, atracurian. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it did a very, it, it, you know, it did a very good job for for a long time as a uh, you know, to be used as um, in, in, in surgery. Um, and you use oh. this term a couple of times, ethnobotanical pharmacology. Yeah, and that's and and you, you mentioned ethnobotanical piracy, was it as well? And is that essentially yeah. seeing what um, what what certain uh, ethnic or Aboriginal uh, peoples use, and then trying to find um, a scientific rationale for it, and and, and uh, subverting that to to big pharma? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so ethnobotany, um, the use of um, plants by humans, ethnopharmacology, uh, the, the development of drugs uh, that are based on traditional use by, by people. I mean, if we go back um, into the 1950s, 1960s, it was quite, it was deemed quite acceptable to go out to uh, Africa, South America, find plants, bring them back, turn them into um, into drugs, make make lots of money. Uh, since then, you know, times change. We now have the uh, Rio Convention on Biodiversity and the um, Nagoya Protocol, which actually protects um, indigenous people. So it protects indigenous knowledge. We hear about intellectual mm. property mm. but what was often forgotten is you know it, even if you're a small tribe living in the, the middle of the amazon that you still have intellectual property you know your your knowledge of how a plant may be used to treat a certain disease is actually very important and someone mm. to go in and take that knowledge and take it to the other side of the world and then make millions uh from that and yes. for you who who actually had the information to begin with that actually enabled that to happen to act to 
not profit at all from it is actually ethically and, and, and morally wrong. So now there's a lot, there's um, conventions like the Rio Convention and the mm. Protocol that actually tries to protect the rights of uh, when, when did that indigenous happen? groups. When, when did that happen, Tony? Um, not until the... I think the 1990s, these, these wow. things come in, so quite quite, quite late, really. Right. And they're not retrospectively applied, so these... No, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that. So these things like the uh, Nagoya Protocol, Rio Convention, yeah. they're absolutely great. They're actually what should have happened. But the negative side, they've... It's totally stopped any interest in pharmaceutical companies wanting to do research into plants. Yeah. Because it oh, costs them more money. It costs them more money. It's the, yeah, it's, you know, they, the involvement, uh, the, the kind of red tape and, and bureaucracy. Yeah. So there's a, and, be, and, and so because they don't want to get involved, it's got a kind of more of a negative effect. Uh, as well, so, yeah, so do, they, do they not do it on the quiet then? Do they not think, oh, we've got XYZ going on, let's quietly investigate it and synthesize a uh, synthetic equivalent? Um, it's difficult to do it on the quiet because whenever you pub, you need before you, you, mm. you get onto clinical trials, first of all, you need to publish your, your first in vitro sort of data. And then whoever's doing the peer review wants to know, you know, the one of the questions you're going to be asked is, you know, where where were the plants come, where did they come from, uh, where did you source them, what was your relationship with the, you know, did you abide by the uh, Rio Convention? This is, you know, so it's very mm. difficult to to make make I, that happen. It's it's interesting that because I, I think I've come across this myself personally. Um, mm. Although I don't know the story of behind it, but um, uh, many years ago I was working in a clinic in Malawi, mm. um, in Africa. Yeah, and that was an HIV malaria clinic. Yeah, and all of the Western doctors and medics and nurses, all, all of us were were trying to take prophylactic malaria treatments, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Now that uh, most of the Western prophylactic treatments for malaria are not very pleasant on the side mm. effects. There's three, yeah. three main ones. Um, but I was taking Artemisia tea, mm. which I had been given from a friend in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's reasonably local to the area because I understand that's quite important that you derive the plant in the area where you're likely to get the infection from. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped taking it for a couple of weeks. I think I got bored of having tea every day. Yeah. And contracted malaria. Right. So I was given the pharmaceutical grade of Artemisia. Mm -hmm. High dose, Artemisia, three days, back on my feet, carry on, carry on as normal, Brampton. Let's go. Yeah. Um, So do you know anything about the story about Artemisia and the the malaria treatment stuff then, Tony? Is that... Um, yeah, well, just, 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 just. I mean, artemisinin, the the pharmaceutical drug, is um, uh, one of the sort of latest 
and probably the greatest success stories of um, ethnopharmacology uh, and uh, research. And right. actually, mm-hmm. um, Yu Tao, who um, who did the work, she got no- the Nobel Prize for for her work on uh, Artemisia. Oh wow! And she li- she literally dedicated her life. She didn't she didn't see her children for like twenty years, and, and you know she was like stuck in stuck in a lab somewhere in China, just working on on, on this on this project. Right. Mm-hmm. And one. And and um, and it's become yes, it's saved literally mi- millions of li- millions of lives in in sub-Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. um, all, all coming from this natural product, uh, Artemisia. Right. So Art- Artemisia was was very um, was known uh, as being known as Qing Hao in 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 China was known to be something that could reduce fever. Um, and and you, you were saying the Chinese have written records going back a thousand years, two thousand years. Two thousand, yeah, uh, Chinese medical texts going back to uh, two thousand years. Some of the you know major texts that are still taught in universities are you know looking at AD two hundred. Uh, you know, fam- famous Chinese uh, scholar physicians were, were writing texts then that are still that are still followed today. Mm, wow, we might pick up on uh, later. But this particular herb, um, Artemisia, was was studied by scientists. So there's lots of um, bioprospecting, as we call it, you know, analysing. You know, this is what, what lots of universities do: look look, look at um, activities of different herbs, different medicinal plants. And for a long time, this plant was looked at, and it showed no real activity against malaria. Mm-hmm. Um, which was 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 one of the in, interests that, that, that people had, but then the kind of anthropologists started to get involved and started really um, interrogating the old Chinese texts. Um, mm. And through this careful interrogation, they, they found that it wasn't actually an extract that, that was used uh, two thousand years ago. Or how they were using the plant, they was actually squeezing. The juice from the fresh plant, right, and, and taking that, which is oh. quite, which is actually quite unusual in Chinese medicine because most of Chinese medicine is taken as a as a decoction, an aqueous decoction, where herbs are just cooked up in water and drunk. But this was uh, unusual, and, and, and through the text, they found it, it was squeezed. The fresh plant was squeezed, and the juice was drunk. And so this started to be. This was followed in the lab. Reduce the squeeze, and they found that there was an activity there against uh, the malaria plasmodium parasite. Sure, because previously they just previously they just looked at the activity of dried leaves as they would do normally, made made into a uh, an infusion, and found that that didn't work. So they concluded it was it was bunkum. Yeah, yeah. Mister Utah took this up and and um, found there was an activity. But then she also was a very good medicinal chemist and slightly changed, uh, you know, as medicinal chemists do, you know, changed some of the functional groups and turned it into artemisinin, and it became the most effective uh, treatment against malaria that, uh, that, that we know. The only downside is it's got uh, quite a short half-life, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so it won't, 
Um, you've got four stages of malaria parasite. It won't, um, you can't address all four. But if you use it with a more well-known, longer-lasting, uh, like one of the chloroquinines or something like this, you, you have absolutely have to use the two together, and then you get very, very good um, results. Right. And interesting. Like I understand, there's there's no sign of, of resistance to it after all these. Yeah, no, no, because the, the 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 way the compound works, it's got a very, um, uh, I think it's got a very reactive um, uh, oxygen molecule in there that literally blasts the uh, 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 the parasite. So mm. it, it, it's very destructive, and it's very difficult to build up a resistance uh, against that, especially. To- to a drug with a very short half-life because it's not only got to survive uh, to, to, to create progeny that, that produce a resistant uh, species, subspecies or, or cerevar, but it's also got to do that within a very limited mm. period of time, hasn't it? So, yeah. amazing. But the... well, I'll, I'll, vouch, I'll vouch for the effectiveness. It's incredibly effective. Yeah, mm. you, so t- you, you had it, Mike. You had malaria. Yeah. I've had malaria, yeah. And and you took this as a as a tea or as the no I was um, I was given they, they sell it as um it's sold throughout sub-Saharan Africa as a sort of a, a three day pack mm. and you you have to take your full dose it's like antibiotics and mm. when it says take two of these now and then six hours later take four of these and six hours later take two of these. That's what you do. You basically take this whole medicinal course, except mm. rather than it being in sort of a powdered form or um, as, as leaves or anything like that, it's as proper Western pharmaceuticals. You know, take tablet A now and take yeah. tab two tablet B in six hours' time. Um, mm. But it, it, it is incredibly effective. And you, it, it was what we used at the clinic anyway. I just didn't expect to be on the receiving end of it. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. the 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 onset of malaria is rapid. One hour you'll be absolutely fine. An hour later you'll be in hot, feverish sweats, but feeling cold. Um, and it just develops from there. It's it's mm. incredibly rapid. And mm. so probably within within about four or five hours of contracting the fever, um, I was being given artemisia. And you know, you know that your first night is going to be rough, and uh, you've got the whole hallucinatory thing going on from high fever and high temperature. Um, yeah. But you keep taking the course, um, <clears throat> even if you feel sick and you don't want to eat or drink anything. Mm-hmm. You you mm-hmm. keep taking it. And, yeah. And um, three yeah. days later, I was hitchhiking over to Zambia. Yeah. Uh, because my visa had run out. <laughs> So you know, it was from it was from death's door, feeling like death, with green frogs crawling out of my bed to eat me, to uh-huh. um, to hitchhiking into uh, darkest Zambia. Wow! Wow! So, uh, was, uh, and of course, none of the Nagoya Protocol or Rio Convention actually applied here because everything was in house within China, and so everything went by Chinese rules rather mm. than sort of global rules. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so the people who actually produced this tea for, for many centuries, many millennia, now can't afford to use it. 
Well, pres- presumably, uh, because the, the, the guys that grow the crops, most of the crops are taken by the large pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's mainly, I mean, they, they still, in China has uh, invested a lot in Africa and um, <clears throat> and a lot of Ch- uh, Chinese medicine is, is very much used in Africa and the Chinese have a lot of investment there because the Chinese uh, government <clears throat> are interested in African resources, in particular their mineral resources and things like copper and iron and all things that help to build circuit boards in China. Um, and, and so there's a very strong interest in, in Africa. So they work, work, work. Uh, there's a lot of work that they do, do together. Mm. Um, and that's probably getting more into the, well okay well let's let's deal with some aspects of china here tony Mm. you you just tripped off ching hao now you you tripped this off as if this was a lingua franca for you this is this is common language for you yeah you've also talked a little bit there about chinese medicine so you you've done a lot of work in in the ethno-herbalism, we've talked about artemisia, malaria, etc, etc. So, Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Here's one for you. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's not really a question, is it, Julian? I was going to say, Chinese <laughs> medicine, hoodoo, voodoo, or or what? But I, I think Tony's already answered this. It's, this well, is kind, a genuine thing I, that we should be paying attention to. I, I guess he kind of has. And there's, there's a bit of um, bit of preamble to this, isn't there? Because we call it veterinary ramblings. And we're constantly banging on about evidence-based medicine yeah. uh, in, in the veterinary field at the moment. And, and um, you know, Yeah, but this guy's got a PhD in turmeric. And, and he must know what he's talking about. So so what's going on? What, there's a disconnect somewhere, isn't there? Yeah. Where, where, where is the reconnect? What can we do? I, I think what you're what you're getting towards is, um, I mean, we've got pre- people like Professor David Calhoun, uh, who is very, um, uh, and Ben Goldacre, who, who wrote Bad Science and Bad Pharma, were very much anti any kind of uh, alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be fair, they're very anti. David Calhoun is also he's at UCL. Is uh, an emeritus professor now who's retired. He's <coughs> also anti a lot of Western medicine, and because he said it doesn't work. So mm-hmm. to be fair, he's just sort of anti anything that doesn't have a good uh, kind of p value, <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or anything with n equals one. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think he he would agree that artemisinin, for instance. It, there's there's no problem at all with that because it's a, a drug that's gone through clinical trials. It's been proved to be effective, as is digoxin is a very uh, effective drug for treating angina. Would you want to take leaves off of a foxglove plant, boil them up, and drink it? Probably not. Not really. Not really. No. no. But, but we got some foxglove. Really had a back. heart problem. Yeah, it did. It, it did happen. So I think the. What is you know the um, people like people in this camp, you know the Nightingale group, uh, are just calling for more evidence. The problem is that 
the funding isn't out there. Yeah, so the evidence costs produce, money, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so this is mm. one of the things I'm really involved with is is, is, is research. Perhaps we get onto that a bit later. We need more re research in, uh, into this area. So I think the, the disconnect you're, you're talking about is that you know, people are very happy. You know, drugs are drugs. It doesn't matter if they're synthetic drugs or they're, they've been produced in natural origin, whether their origin is bacteria or plants. Once they get to that point, they're a single active compound and it's a drug. Mm. It goes through the normal clinical trials and approved by the FDA or MHRA. Uh, but it's everything before that. Once we start talking about her a herbal medicine, then it, it, it becomes in a different camp because the evidence isn't there. So and you're not just talking about one compound, are you, often with, with, uh, with mm. herbal medicines? You may be talking about many hundreds of, of different compounds in one uh, medicinal package. Yeah, absolutely. Most yeah. of the time, the, the the actual compound is like with, with turmeric. People focus on the curcuminoids. You mm. know, there's many other compounds in there as well. And people try extracting just the curcumin, and they may sell this as product. Um, but again, the you know the research and the evidence, uh, you know, it isn't great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet it's it's very difficult, primarily doing clinical trials. If you, even if you were given all the money, very difficult doing clinical trials on uh, on, on multi-pharmacy, isn't it, polypharmacy? Mm. Uh, looking at the effects that, that maybe 100 compounds in one particular yeah. Uh, yeah. drug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do yeah. the clinical trial, but what the difficult part is showing the mechanism. Yes, um, sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is often, which is what, uh, regulators want mm. to give something a full marketing authorization or a product license. Yes. They want to know, you know, the mechanism involved. And they, they do, but also, also the, the um, in the clinical trial itself, with a with a leaf, do you have exactly the same ratio of all the compounds per leaf? Well, that's another. Yeah, that's an, that is another problem. To stand what you, what you can do is you can standardize a herbal product to a particular uh active ingredient yes they do you know, high terracin and john's work but again you don't know if if that's the main ingredient or all you can really do is take a, a, a large sample of a particular plant and analyze mm. the, the samples and then pick one that uh, seems to be an average of all, all the samples uh, but the only problem with that is an outlier or a plant that's very different may actually have better results. Uh, yeah. So someone might run a clinical trial on that one and get good results, and then someone tries to reproduce it with the same plant, but it's a very different chemotype and mm. get different results. So, it, it, as you say, it's a very it's a very difficult uh, you know area to re to research. It is absolutely. You mentioned chemotype, and that's the subtle difference in in chemicals produced depending on the growing area, the soil, the daylight hours, the particular uh, subspecies or hybrid of the plant, isn't it? And it, it almost becomes too much of a problem to cope with. But I think we're going to leave it as too much of a problem to cope with because we've got so much we want to ask it, so much we want to get into. And we mentioned earlier the fact that you've, you've travelled extensively throughout 
uh, India, China, Japan. And I know that, um, that, that that's not just for the herbalism of your PhD, yeah. but you have an interest in all things. Yeah, Oriental. actually, I only went to Japan for kendo and the Ido. So, for kendo, tell us about your kendo. Hey, everyone. Before we dive back into our conversation, we've got a really exciting announcement. That's right. Today's episode is brought to you by Adaptix, the ultimate solution for veterinary imaging. Are you tired of struggling with bulky imaging equipment that's a hassle to use? Well, then it's time to upgrade to Adaptix. With its compact size and unparalleled precision, it's a game changer for veterinarians everywhere. From diagnosing conditions like arthritis and osteomyelitis to examining nasal terminates and tympanic bully in exquisite detail, Adaptix has got you covered. Plus, it's perfect for those exotic patients too. So, if you're ready to take your practice to the next level and give your patients the care they deserve, then head over to Adaptix.com to learn more. That's Adaptix.com. A-D-A-P-T-I-X dot com. And now, back to our conversation. You went You went to Japan just for kendo? Yeah, kendo and the Ido. Was taking, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't you know you can buy a kendo doll? You get That's the equivalent of Barbie, isn't it? You get a kendo doll. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 that's Ken. It's not that's kendo. Ken that's kendas or kendo. Kendo or, ken, or kendo't. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Ken does nothing. The boy does nothing. Uh, corrected. <laughs> so this is this is bashing people over, over here with uh, with funny sticks. Kendo, isn't um, it? Kendo is oh, the only shut up then. Is, uh, waving a Japanese uh, samurai sword around and trying to cut things with it. So mm. this is where you get told up in all of the the, the wooden armor. Oh, uh, in the armor, yeah, in in armor, yeah. So this is this is sword fighting with big sticks. Yeah, it's Japanese fencing, if you like. Yeah, Japanese how, style fencing. How and why did you get into kendo? Well, it was a kind of development from doing aikido, really, which was a development from doing kind of judo and jujitsu, and it's just something I've been involved with for thirty-five years. Don't you love the way Tony sort of? Mentions all these things if they're natural, natural segues. I mean, I've done this, I've done this, yeah, I did a bit of that. Right, come on, right? You, we've obviously Kendo. hit something here because you've you've just brushed over it and you've just listed half a dozen Japanese martial arts, and you've just brushed over it. But I asked you how you got into it and why. Oh wow! Uh, I was working at the Welcome Foundation. Mm. as we mentioned earlier right and um, every Thursday night everyone would go down to the welcome bar and drink lots of uh, beer because uh, welcome were making lots of money and the share prices were going up and everyone was very happy and, sounds uh, reasonable yeah mm. big, you know, big, uh, thing and there was uh, some crazy guy down there who decided um, he wanted to hit people over who wasn't in the company, who just got into the just got into the into the into the club, and he said mm. he wanted to hit someone over the head with a bottle. And I was about twenty five years old, and uh, he decided he was going to come and hit me. 
And um, just, so just before he came out of this bottle, I'm thinking, oh, shit, <laughs> someone's going to hit me. <laughs> uh, this guy who was working on, on the door just, just came along and put him in some kind of arm lock, took the bottle and like chucked him on the floor and uh, said, off you go now. And I thought, oh, that looked really good. <laughs> we got chatting and it turned out he was running the Aikido club in right. because there was all clubs for everything we, any, anyone wanted to do and he was in charge of the Aikido club uh, so I joined up and uh, it, it kind of uh, went on from there and that was 1985 so, so you got into Aikido having been rescued from a desperate situation by a master of Aikido Absolutely, yeah. I can think of no better reason to get into it. <laughs> that, that, that's pretty much it, isn't it? That, that's, that's, that's pretty inspirational, isn't it? Inspiration. Yeah. And and you've you've gone on from there. Uh, I have to say, uh, viewers, listeners, that, that I've been privileged to have been hit over the head many, many times by Tony uh, using things ranging from his, his kendo practice sword uh, all the way uh, through uh, from a, a, a brown trout, um, a halibut, uh, a large cucumber, a marrow, and uh, and a small plastic chicken in the past. <laughs> oh, each time I've I felt incredibly privileged and, and happy to be hit over the head but by uh, by her professor doctor. I, so, I can't wait till I see you next, Julian. <laughs> this is awesome. So, so t- t- tell me, Tony, you, what you should have just got and go, hello, Julian. <laughs> Whatever it is that you have in your hand. We did a very nice Monty Python routine in, in Malta where um, we were we was, uh, recreating the slapping of the fish around the face and then slapping with the large salmon as uh, Julian uh, ended up in the swimming pool. Uh, I forgot he actually had a really serious neck problem at the time, so probably shouldn't hit him around the, the salmon quite as hard. I had a slip disc in my neck, but I was fine. I couldn't use my right arm for about six months, but it was okay. It was all right. And it was the kids all right. enjoyed it. But <laughs> you've, you've, you've forgiven him, have you, Julian? Oh, I, I forgave him immediately because he, he or, bought me lots of Maltese wine. Or have you forgiven him because if you don't forgiven him and try and hit him with a bottle... You know that you're going to get clapped around the ear with a stick or a or the bottle. <laughs> it was something harder. It was something harder, and, and I yeah. guess, I guess, t- typically, I should say for Tony, you, you've you've gone into kendo, but haven't just dabbled, have you? Do you want to tell us what level you got to with kendo? <clears throat> well, it's, it's actually, you know, I've only been doing kendo uh, about fifteen years, which which may not. <laughs> which, I mean, that may not. You may think that's, that's quite a long time. My my kendo instructor, uh, Okamitsu Fuji, who was from Japan, he was doing kendo for uh, before he died. He was doing kendo for seventy years. He started when he was six years old, and, and he was doing kendo uh, to seventy six. And and the oldest person in Japan who's still competing in uh, kendo, like in real fighting competitions, is one hundred and five years old. And has been doing kendo you know, over ninety years, so wow. uh, yeah, wow. we, we need to put it in some uh, perspective. So doing it fifteen he, years, I'm I'm really a very much a beginner. Yeah, you, he, he's always going to win, isn't he? You're never going to whack some hundred and five year old <laughs> around the head, are you? Okay, 
You you won again, Sunshine. Well done. You've won again. You've won again. I can't even get out of this chair. Doesn't matter. You've won. You've won. Arigato. Tell you what, <laughs> I'll take my hat off. Give it one there. Oh, yes, you win. Oh, oh. I could just oh, yeah. oh. oh, there yeah. we go. Uh, <laughs> what? I'm guessing he can probably move, actually. Uh, we're saying this. Is, is he still doing all the moves he was doing when he was a sprightly 75-year-old? Well, it's about, it's about you don't need, you know, when you're uh, in your 20s and 30s, you run around a lot and use lots of energy. Uh, mm. When you get to, you know, you know, you've been doing something fifty or sixty years, you just you, you discover it's probably more about timing. You don't actually need to move very much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with a kendo stick, you're recreating a real sword. It's not a. It, it shouldn't. Although it is um, sometimes a bit, it becomes a bit of a contact sport. It should be really focused on the sword and, and, and a good cut. And, you know, the ability to do a good cut really depends on uh, just reading the other person and uh, doing something at the right time. Mm. Mm. I saw Uma Thurman do it mm. in that film. And, uh, yeah, she, she, she had a really exquisite um, timing. That was actually mm-hmm. a, good, a very good example. And I particularly like the way uh, when she took her sandals off, she actually moved them backwards and then she took the other one off and moved it backwards. And so she hmm. didn't actually move backwards at all, which is actually a principle. One of the main principles of Kendo is that you never go back. You always go forward. Right. Is that right? Hmm. Is that right? Which was the principle when I drove my 2CV because I can never get into reverse. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 want, I want to know if there are any other things that we should be looking out for in Kill Bill Part 1 or Part 2 with Uma Thurman. <laughs> there are a few we'll, we'll talk about those later perhaps okay mm. so uh, we, we were chatting Tony the, the other day um, because you, you teach kendo mm. and you are third down third down yeah which again is very you know people you know when I started martial arts you know I thought you know get to black belt and you know that, that's mm. what that's that's what you need to achieve because um, that's what I saw from movies and everything like that. Hmm. And back in the kind of 70s and 80s, uh, that was the big focus. But when you actually get into it, you find that, you know, Black Belt is uh, like the beginning stage. Um, it, 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 show, it, it Shodan and the characters for Shodan are um, uh, a tailor cutting his cloth. So first Dan Black Belt means that the cloth has been cut correctly and now we need to make a suit. So really a black belt just means uh, that you've gone through basic training and now you're ready to learn. And so so I've got third dan, uh, but in Japan you wouldn't be able to teach until at least until you've reached uh, fifth dan. So right. you need to keep in some. So when someone says, uh, you know, I've got a black belt, you know, that, mm. to me, that's not, you know, that impressive. I've Well, I've got a black belt, and, mm. and if I turn the buckle over, it can turn yeah. into a brown belt. <laughs> yeah, I've got one of those as well. It's yeah. brilliant. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really good. I've had to let it out a bit during lockdown. Where's, where's he going? For, for, the, for the listeners, Tony just stood up and walked off. Oh, he's I think Tony, Tony's disgusted at us, and he's <laughs> sharpening his kendo sword. You know? <laughs> We're going to get a virtual so, battering. 
So do we, we we'll we'll move on from from Kendo, I think, if that's all right, because um, okay. you you clearly are way out of our league on that. Um, you're, you're again, your your love of. You just mentioned the, the professor I work with, Jimmy Bell at um, uh, uh, Westminster, who's um, uh, one of the uh, world expert on uh, mitochondrial health. Um, he's also a fencer. Uh, European fencer, quite heavy, high level, and so uh, when we eventually go back, we've got an idea: is um, we're going to have a, a contest of uh, Japanese kendo fencing against uh, Western uh, fencing. And, oh well, uh, and see how that goes. See how that turns out. <laughs> so, Tony, you're going to fight a guy with a metal sharp sword with a piece of wood. <laughs> a, bamboo, a bamboo sword. A, ba- um, a bamboo stick. A bamboo stick. He, he's got a fire or an epee. But I'll, I'll be dressed in the um, uh, protective clothing of fencing, and he'll be dressed mm. in the protective clothing of kendo. So it should work out okay. Right. Brilliant. Yeah, we, we digressed. <laughs> we digressed. I think we will digress. Yep. Well, let's bring us back on track then. Tony, Yeah. on, on Veterinary Ramblings, we've got a well, well-established well um, part of the show mm. we call 60 second cpd all right so herr professor dr professor tony booker you want to talk about turmeric mm-hmm. okay so tony booker welcome 60 second cpd you have 60 seconds talking about turmeric starting now hey so <clears throat> turmeric is uh, a very interesting Herb. It's actually the Latin name is Cucuma longa, although it does have a very closely related species, Cucuma aromatica, and they're only really differentiated by the number of cucuminoids that each one possesses. Um, but the thing about turmeric is they're not all the same. Some contain a very high in essential oils, some are very high in cucuminoids, and so they're very different varieties. And people take them for mainly for anti-inflammatory action. The main problem with turmeric is it's not very bioavailable, and, but you can increase the bioavailability through introducing piperine. And this was known a very long time ago because people took it with black pepper. By taking piperine, you actually increase the glucuronic acid con- conjugation in phase two liver, liver metabolism, and your body is able to accept it a lot better. Well. And that was spot on. That was absolutely spot Excellent. on. So essentially you're saying, if you want to get the best out of the, uh, turmeric, put a bit of pepper in it. Yeah, and if you notice, I mean, I don't want to uh, brag, but since I did my PhD, uh, post-Booker PhD, there were no products on the market with uh, added pepper, uh, uh, pre, pre-Booker PhD, but post-Booker PhD, Nearly every turmeric product you Google on the internet has piperine added, uh, wow. pepper added, and piperine is the uh, from from either black pepper or long pepper is the main ingredient. And uh, traditionally, pe- people would um, add black pepper to the turmeric. And as I say, it does um, uh, inhibit uh, glucuronic acid uh, conjugation. And so bio, bio, bioavailability 
in theory, should be better, even though there's not really good evidence to show that that happens. But when it, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll notice turmeric products, they're just full of either uh, added pepper or um, pipe. Mm-hmm. But it's a good idea, you know, it may be why pepper was such a, uh, a sought after product if it does have this effect of um, it may- effectively increasing the uh, bioavailability bio- bio- of. Yeah. You know, of different foods. And, and just, just to put it into some sort of perspective, you talk about um, glucuronic uh, acid um, inhibition uh, or, or glucuronidase inhibition. Uh, and, and I'll listen to it and think, yeah, so, so what, what? What the heck does that mean? Uh, because cats don't produce glucuronidase, they die if they're given paracetamol. Mm. We have paracetamol and survive because we can produce it. So it's a huge metabolic difference there mm. that we're seeing with, with, with a tiny tiny addition in this case of of, of pepper um yeah. which you know with, with cats you can't okay so any listeners don't give your cats paracetamol and pepper that won't work it will not work they'll sneeze and they'll still die but i'm just illustrating your point here i just hope no one switched off before i said that and think, great, now I'm going to go out and give my cat some paracetamol and grind some pepper in because Julian said it's fine. And they'll have switched off and I think, oh my God, those cats have died already. It's too late for them. Don't, don't do it. Please don't. But the, yeah, don't, don't give your cat time. paracetamol. Yeah, okay, so that's that's the thing. Don't give your cat paracetamol. Or humans. No. Or humans. Don't give your cat <laughs> humans. Yeah, yeah. Do not feed your cat humans. Uh, do drink whiskey. Uh, single malts are best. <laughs> Alcohol. Now, some of our listeners yeah. may drink, and obviously we could never condone that because always drink responsibly is our motto. Uh, and uh, although Mike and I pretend to have a drink on, on veterinary yeah. ramblings, it's always water or, um, or, or tea of some sort. Um, is there anything, speaking as a herbalist, that we can take to improve the health of our livers? And in all seriousness, don't overdrink and think I'm going to take some pills because they'll get it better. But for general but, liver but, health, for general health, is there anything we can take? The, 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 there's a couple of interesting uh, things there. <clears throat> I mean, one of the, the main uh, kind of Western herbs is uh, milk thistle. <coughs> is milk thistle. And that's silibicin or something, isn't well, it? Yeah, it contains silimarins. Silimarin. And um, which in which kind of an aside, it's you know, people talk about you know, are, are herbal medicines effective? Uh, milk thistle is the only, I think I've mentioned this to you before, it's the only antidote for poisoning by uh, Amanita phylloides, the death cat mm. mushroom. The only, possible, the only possible chance you have of living if you've taken too much of this is to take milk thistle. <coughs> yeah. And that's, that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is uh, it has to be within 24 hours and it has to be uh, given intravenously. So in places like France, the pharmacies you know, keep wow. stocks of uh, cinemarin for, for silly English people who have been out to France 
picking mushrooms. Mm. Uh, well, I don't. We we don't over here because you know people don't really do a lot of mushroom picking. Um, but um, yeah, there's only um, uh, milk thistles got a good reputation for uh, uh, liver health. Turmeric is supposed to be liver uh, protective. Yeah. Um, there's a, a mushroom in 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 Taiwan um, called um, uh, Entrodia. Entrodia camphorata. And when I was in Taiwan, um, you know, everyone was taking this before going out for a drink because the Taiwanese lack a drink. Um, yeah. And uh, before we went out, people said, I'll oh, take this, take this. And I thought, oh, okay. Were the drugs? Or <laughs> 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 yeah, okay, we this, this party. But anyway, and that's, and that's the left this world, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> take it, take the liver. And um, yeah, and it's and we, we've actually done some uh, research on it on uh, uh, Westminster and shown it does have some effects on fatty liver as well. Um, mm. So it's quite an interesting, um, interesting plant. And again, I was at a conference and with lots of Korean people, and they they, they wanted to do lots of gambaying, which is you know, showing me the bottom of the glass. And mm. uh, I could tell I was starting to get a little bit tipsy and. Someone said, I'll take this, and it's uh, a mixture of different plants. And I took it, and I sobered right up. Almost, really? Almost, yeah, so um, uh, there certainly seems to be some uh, interesting uh, things out there. So, so mm. what are these prophylactic hangover cures? Purely from interest. I'm sure one of our listeners would be interested. Not, not, not. not me personally, no. The German one in the in the in the little bottle. What the Argemeister? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that isn't that herbal? <laughs> That's herbal. That's herbal. It must be because herbal so is absinthe. So for yeah. general, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but so is absinthe. But neither are prophylactic hangover cures. Mm. No, I don't know. But there's a, a kudzu. There's a plant uh, used in Japan, uh, kudzu root, which is I think it's perillia. Um, and that's used by alcoholics um, uh, a lot because um, if you take this plant, uh, you'll get drunk more quickly. And so oh. you actually drink less alcohol to get to the same effect. Oh, oh and, and of course, um, uh, Caprinus atramentarius, uh, a type of ink cap, mm. it is used as a cure for alcoholism because if you take that then you'll feel sick every time you drink and it, it's an aversion therapy oh. isn't it so that's, is that smoothing cap i can't remember caprinus atramentarius i know is the latin name oh. i can't remember what the i think it's smoothing cap isn't it oh, okay uh, caprinus comatus of course is shaggy in cap which is the, the, my favorite shroom <laughs> Absolutely amazing. We've, we've had a few of those over the years because uh, Mike Tony and I have um, uh, have a history of, of, of mushroom foraging going back many years now, uh, and had some wonderful times getting uh, the most amazing mushrooms and um, uh, frying them up in a new forest or places like that, mm. uh, all washed down with a few drinks. Yeah, uh, and. Do you know, I think I think that should be our um, 
our farewell thought for tonight that, that perhaps this autumn we should all meet up mm-hmm. and do a bit of foraging. Um, I say all, I'm well aware our listeners are going to be thinking, great, where do we go? No, <clears throat> you can't. It's just us. So sorry. <laughs> uh, Actually, no, no, I'm being mean. Traditionally, mushroom hunters don't give away their secrets. We don't tell you where the best mushrooms are. But here I'm going to break some uh, some traditions and I'm going to say the best place to get seps and shaggy ink caps in our area are <laughs> and, and if you go there, you'll be bound to get some. If you can't find any there, then just round the road to the right and <laughs> are the best, really best places to get chanderelles. So you um, seem to be. Oh, glitching yeah. there yeah. for a second. Yeah, yeah. I don't really think so. No, I think uh, I think everyone heard that. It's fine. I think, I think I think we've run out of money. I think the the, the should, we need to put another fifty p in the meter or something. Should Should we give our usual warning that all mushrooms are edible? Some only once. That's that's a good point. Actually, yes. If in doubt, leave it out. So we we had uh, we had an episode on, on mushroom foraging Tony a year ago with uh, with right. Georgie Hollis. Yeah, and we made the point there. Please, 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 if you are going to forage, then go with uh, with an expert, you, uh, join a group. Please do not eat any mushrooms that you are not 100% certain are the correct edible types. And, and the same with alcohol. friends on Facebook. Absolutely. Same with alcohol. Do not drink anything you're absolutely certain is going to taste nice. And I must say... Uh, I've got a bottle of Côte d'Orune here, and it's jolly nice. So I'm going to uh, carry on drinking that. But but. I'm going to pop my glass up now because I think the time has come to to toast our guest for tonight. Well, no, I don't think it is. Hasn't it? I think it is because because Tony's delivered an amazing 60-second CPD. Really good, really good. Yeah. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. So have yeah. we got a certificate for all We've those people a- that will be presenting tonight's show as their CPD for the day? We have. We've got a certificate. Here we go. Oh, jolly good. What, what's no, the certificate then? So it's a certificate. Certificate mm-hmm. of polymathy. This certifies that more than one math has been presented tonight. And then says at the bottom, polymath, but single malt. <laughs> And, and there's some pictures around here, so let's let's go through the pictures here. Uh, the top left here of this certificate is a picture of, uh, and Tony's going to recognise this instantly, it's the Greek sea urchin, which yeah. we absolutely adore. It's delicious. Uh, the corals or, um, or rose from the sea urchin are my favourite food of all time. Fantastic. And uh, just below that, there's a mushroom fasciola hepatica. Yeah, the beef steak mushroom, which you have to cook in milk, don't you, to make the edible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and below that, of course. The porcini. 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 Uh, which is the, the, the penny bun or sep or um, uh, bolitus uh, edulis. Uh, and next to next to that is uh, is a younger Tony doing a karate <laughs> kid impression in Rack and Woods. <laughs> And and then we have we can really get on to this. We have we've got no time for tonight. We'll, we'll get onto it later. This is a bag collecting natural latex. And um, one of the things 
I was hoping to get on to was um, sustainability of, of rubber and latex and things like that. However, we move on. Here's a picture of a turmeric flower. They're gorgeous flowers, absolutely beautiful flowers. And this is a plant I bought because I haven't been able to grow turmeric flowers. I've got turmeric roots. Uh, here is her Professor Doctor uh, reclining on his on his yacht and thinking hard of on on on, on herbal medicine uh, and uh, and a catch of fish that we were lucky enough to get last time we were fishing together. And I think all of that together shows what a wonderful nice CPD we've had and how many things we've covered. We mentioned polymaths a few times. I think we've been privileged tonight to have Tony, who is one of life's true polymaths. So, Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's been a privilege, and I'm, I'm sure our, uh, our listeners and viewers will, will share their views and their... Uh, their likes and, and don't forget to uh, click like share subscribe whether you're watching us on youtube picking us up off uh, itunes apple spotify or any of the other podcast uh, download forums and don't forget to join in on the chat on facebook and we look forward to hearing our hearing your views good night and may your dog go with you tony booker <laughs> tony booker thank you very very much indeed it's been an absolute privilege May yes. your dog go with you. Thank you very much. It was great. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers.